And I'm turning to my text for this morning, which is the gospel of Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. The words of Jesus. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Can I hear somebody say that? Sheep in the midst of wolves. One more time. Sheep in the midst of wolves. Jesus described the culture of his day and to which he was sending his sheep as being a culture of wolves. Wolves attack and devour sheep, especially lambs because they're defenseless and unable to protect themselves. And here's the big question that I'm going to be addressing this morning. How do you as a parent, a grandparent, an uncle, an aunt, how do you protect and grow the lambs who are our children into adults who will be successful and love God even when there are wolves all around them? Jesus said there are wolves, but he said, I'm sending you forth as lambs. My message this morning is this, raising lambs in a culture of wolves. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear your word, to receive the word of God, that you would speak revelation, truth, and life to us, and help us to bend our thinking to conform to that of your word rather than trying to do the opposite and bend your word to conform to our thinking. Because your word contains the principles that guide us and lead us and someday will carry us all the way through safely to the other side. And we ask it in Jesus' name for your glory. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. Raising lambs in a culture of wolves. Shepherds are supposed to protect sheep from wolves. Parents and other leaders in our world all have a responsibility to help shepherd and guide children toward their God-assigned destinies. Your child has a destiny. In our text, Jesus said, whatever you do, don't forbid kids to come unto me. Psalms 127 in verse 3 says, Behold, children are an heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. And like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Can you see the, the terms connected to archery? Arrows, a quiver that carries the arrows. And then he says, concerning your children, that if you aim them right, they shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gates. The gates of a city were where the leaders used to gather to discuss the problems that existed in a society. It was the equivalent of their town hall. That's where they found solutions to their problems. For your children to speak to their enemies in the gates and not be ashamed means that if you raise them correctly, that they will grow up to defend what is right when the forces that are in a society seek to destroy it. And your children will not be ashamed or defeated. They will prevail. That's literally what that means. So as parents, we and the other influencers in our society, not just parents, that's grandparents, it's teachers, it's the, the list is endless. 
It's athletes, it's entertainers. All of us actually are tasked by God with the assignment of making certain that we put the right values in the hearts of our kids. And the textbook for establishing these beliefs is the word of God. We don't even really have the option of not teaching them the scripture. I know we think we do, but we don't. And that's because they're not really our children. They're gods. He lent them to us for a little while, but they ultimately belong to him. And God requires that we use his book to teach his children his ways and his principles of life. As I've already stated, parents are the ones primarily responsible, but included in this group that you could call shepherds in the modern sense of the word and that they direct children's lives, you'd have to include church and community leaders, politicians, uh, educators. You would have to include entertainment figures, uh, TikTokers, you name it. It's All of those actually have an obligation to steer children the right way. And Jesus was called the good shepherd. The good shepherd. If there's a good shepherd, there could be bad shepherds, right? In Ezekiel 34, God warned of wicked shepherds. And these were shepherds who didn't care for the flock, but instead they used their influence to destroy the sheep, usually for personal and mercenary gain. In today's world, we have watched aghast as parents and as leaders, as one after another, many of those who are supposed to be involved in helping us lead and protect our children and place in them the right values have dropped out on us. Look at sports. Sports figures no longer feel the need to be role models in today's world. When I was a kid growing up, that was anathema. If you intended to have a career in sports, you needed to be a pretty good role model for the kids. Our parents would boycott you. Or consider Hollywood. Hollywood promotes the exact opposite of the values that most of us want our children to embrace when they are grown. Many educators don't know what to do about this dilemma either. In fact, some of them have bailed out on parents too. And they teach our children that biblical teachings are no longer applicable to their lives. They're outdated and they no longer matter. And parents have basically been left alone in the fight when it comes to teaching the values that we want our kids to embrace. And because of that, well, all you have to do is look around and you realize our nation is facing a crisis of morals and values. And it isn't the first time the world has been in this dilemma. It happened in ancient Israel and in Judah many years ago, the northern kingdom of 10 tribes and then Judah, which was the southern kingdom. That was just before they were destroyed and carried away into captivity. Listen to what a prophet from that time had to say. This is Ezekiel. In Ezekiel twenty-two twenty-seven. her princes, her leaders, that's the shepherds, the influencers, rather that civic, governmental, religious, entertainment, whatever, her leaders in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood to destroy people and to get dishonest gain. Now that's staggering. 
But even while these problems were occurring, there was one group of people that even though the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, fell, was carried into captivity, and later the southern kingdom of Judah fell and it was also destroyed. There was one group of people that survived that. And they did not become corrupted by the times. They were the Rechabites. Jeremiah chapter 35 tells their story. These were the descendants of a man named Jonadab. And this is what is interesting. He was not one or a part of the tribes of Israel. They were strangers in the promised land. And so God tells Jeremiah, you go invite all of the descendants of Jonadab, these Rechabites, to the house of God. And what I want you to do is pour them wine and invite them to drink. Now get the picture, okay? Here we are in God's house with God's prophet, God's man of power for the hour, calling these people. Of course they came. He pours them wine and he said, the Lord told me to tell you to drink up. And then that's where the story goes a different direction. They said, no, they refused the instruction. And God brought Jeremiah there to show him this. Now, the reason they refused that instruction was because they had been programmed so deeply with the values of their father, Jonadab, who said, you can't raise vineyards, you can't raise grapes, you can't drink wine, or you will be thrown out of this land that we're guests in. I don't know if maybe he recognized a predisposition or the trait toward an addiction in his family, because it does run in families. It's very common and and you can have addictive traits and those don't go away when you get saved. And the best thing you can do is if you have that those tendencies is swap your addiction to something good. Amen. Quit trying to change who you are. You probably will never change your own personality. Instead, find something else to become addicted to that's good. Amen. And that's what Paul talks about. He says that the household of Stephanus became addicted to the ministry of the saints. And they became addicted to serving God and helping people. And that's kind of like the story of my life. I know myself real well. And when you see me, you will see me. I've got a Whataburger Coke Zero cup in my hand. You know why? Because I know what would be in my hand if it wasn't a Whataburger Coke Zero. I know what used to be in my hand. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. And so I quit stuff that would destroy me. And now that's a lot safer in my estimation. God used the Rechabites as an object lesson to teach Jeremiah this. That the reason that Jonadab's descendants would not violate the teachings of their father is that in the home he had placed these values so deeply in their hearts that they would not transgress them. Wow, that's amazing. Especially when you consider the context. The context is that generations of priests and prophets had been trying to teach Israel and Judah, but they never got it that deep in their hearts. And here's a guy who isn't even a part of the nation, and yet he managed to put his values deep in the hearts of his kids. Now, a little of the backstory that will help it seem even more 
fascinating and applicable. Jeremiah, the guy in Jeremiah 35 that did this, and Ezekiel, the guy that called the shepherds of the day ravening wolves, the leaders of his day ravening wolves, their ministries overlapped. They were contemporaries. Jeremiah prophesied that if Judah didn't turn, it would collapse. And it did. And on the other hand, this guy, Ezekiel, that I just mentioned, he was one of the priests. He was a good man, but he was carried away into captivity. And I am gripped by what the King James Version uses to describe this verse where it talked about wolves that ripped the lambs. It says this. God called them in the King James Version, ravening wolves. Can you see their slathering, drooling mouths and their their eyes evil and focused and and the, the target is the lambs? That was what the leaders of that day were like. And the parallels with our time are quite obvious. I think most of you will agree that we live in our postmodern society in a time when society's in trouble, it's lost its way morally and ethically by declaring that the truth is whatever you make it now. Amen. One of the worst problems we face is that our children are being specifically targeted by the enemy in a deliberate effort. And by the enemy, I'm talking about dark spiritual forces that want to change the values that are taught in the kingdom of God, in the word of God. And you know who the last line of defense is? It's the family. We're the only defense they have. Think about it. Hollywood, the media, TV, the internet, TikTok, kids shows, universities, iPhones, even our government. And now, yes, many public and Christian schools are openly trying to indoctrinate our kids with teachings that are against the scripture. They're openly doing it. You know what I'm saying is true. And by the way, thank God for the godly teachers that stand up for things that are right. Even in our public school systems. Amen. Because I'm not here to knock public schools. But I I will tell you, you're going to have to consider what they're teaching. Amen. I mean, in today's world, they're advocating abortion straight through to the ninth month. And there are even folk that advocate post-birth abortion 28 days after a baby is born. If you decide you don't want it, no problem. You can take its life. And so what I'm preaching right now is considered to be taboo in some places. I'm serious. They won't let you preach this in some parts of of North America. I know pastors that have literally been arrested. For preaching this, that's in most of us here, we don't realize it because, you know, we're in the great Republic of Texas, you know, we'll just, (laughs) amen. (laughs) Well, let, let, let me move on from that. But the big thing is, don't make anything an issue that might bring conviction to someone's heart. But other folk don't mind making things issues. They don't. But if you preach what the word of God says, then all of a sudden I might feel bad and you're not supposed to make me feel bad anymore. Now, let me say this. Nothing that I teach today is designed to make anyone feel bad. But here's what I'm trying to communicate. 
We have to preach the word of God. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts if our lives are not in alignment with the word of God. In other words, conviction is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Amen. You know what we, we believe? Amen. We believe this. The, big things this. the big thing this day and age in which we live is this. You do you, boo. Right? And you know there's an element of truth in that. And before some of you shout me down and say you disagree, there is an element of truth in that. Because I cannot go to God for anyone in this building. You've got to face God on your own. I can't control your life. Nor should I try. Amen. But I do have a solemn obligation, as do churches all around the world, to preach the word of God Almighty. But if the Holy Spirit at that point brings conviction, then don't blame the mailman who just delivered the letter. Now, having said that, I'm not trying to get myself off the hook. It's my, my job. What I'm really trying to say is this. If it stopped with you do you, boo, it'd be fine. But it doesn't stop there. It went from you do you, boo, to now you got to believe like I do, boo. And that means that we have to jettison the word of God. And I can't do that. This is the solid rock upon which families can build their future and raise their children. Amen. And so we see the results of all of this. Our children are being encouraged to act out identity and gender confusion rather than helping them understand the feelings that children oftentimes experience when they're growing up during those tumultuous hormonal eras of their life. And then they usually outgrow all that settles down. But instead, they're being tilted toward things like gender reassignment surgery. And did you know that statistics indicate that kids, in spite of all of this being done, in spite of that making kids feel better about themselves, they're more confused right now than they ever have been. And I got to tell you this. Did you know that once you've had gender reassignment surgery, the odds are 20 times greater that you will take your own life? That's why I I want you to realize these strategies that go against the teachings of the word of God are not where it's at. Now, having said that, drugs is also being promoted, legalization of drugs, even euthanasia. The Church of Canada just came out with a prayer for those who wish to commit suicide. That they give, if you want to commit suicide, go see the priest. They will give you a prayer to pray while you take your life. Really? Can you imagine Jesus doing that? Instead of him saying, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying, if you're just depressed, here's a prayer you can pray while you kill yourself. That's sad. And it breaks my heart. Amen. That's not what God wants. And while I'm saying that, let me go to the other side of this same equation because I, I wouldn't want you to feel that my heart is in, you know, trying to incite 
the wrong feelings toward people who are personally traumatized with where they are in life and are stuck trying to figure it out. Uh, I believe God is against hate too. I got to look quiet on that one. Now y'all were louder on the other responses. God is against hate. That's right. There's two places I can place my feet and not be shaken. One is on truth. The other is in love. God wants us to love everybody, even when they are wrong. Even when they're not serving Christ. Even when they're confused. And I really need to make that clear. Because, you know, some folk believe, well, it's... If they'll get their act together, then we'll welcome them at church. I want you to know you should always be welcome in the house of God because you will never feel the presence of the Holy Spirit wrapping its arms around you and embracing you and enabling you to change. Regardless of what that problem may be. You know, and it it really could be many, many different things that fall into that category. If you're a bank robber, you need to be in church. Amen. Well, we don't welcome folk at Rob Banks to this church. We do it this one. Amen. Now, having said that, time out, we don't recommend you rob any banks anymore. Telling somebody they have to change before they go to church is saying like, as soon as you recover from cancer, you need to go check in the hospital. Wait a minute. That's not when they need to go. They need to go while they're suffering, while they're sick, while they're traumatized. Jesus said, those who are whole do not need a physician. It's those who are sick that need the care of a physician. We're talking about what you need to do as a parent to make sure that your children are protected in a culture when there are people preying upon their innocent minds. What do you do when Hollywood is putting all this stuff out and TikTok and Facebook and you, it's, it's just, it's gotten to the point that it's scary. I tell you what you do, you do what Jonadab did and I'm gonna get to that. But in just a moment before I do, I will, And I will get to it in a moment. I do want to tell you that Jesus warned disciples. He said his disciples, in fact, it is impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. So I just want to issue a warning to society. When culture says that it's okay to go this direction, but the word of God says it's not, regardless of what that is, like I said, robbing banks, drugs, whatever, please be aware that if you condone that, Jesus said, you're going to have to deal with me later because those are not your kids. They're mine. I just loaned them to this world. Amen. Your job Church, your job, family, your job, grandparents, your job, parents, is to teach them the right values. And that's what Jonadab did. He put those values so deep in the hearts of his kids that nothing could take them out. So how do you raise lambs in a culture of wolves? 
The first thing I want to point out is that Jonadab's example teaching us, teaches us that parents must re-engage in the moral and spiritual development of their children. We have got to be involved again. And most of us are not. Husbands and wives both work. Kids go to school. They come in and entertain themselves on their iPads or their laptops or their, their iPhones or Androids. They watch their videos, play video games. But this is what Deuteronomy 6 says in verse 6. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. That's parents, by the way. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Did you get that? When you go to bed at night, when you get up in the morning, when you walk in the house, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. When you go in and come out of your house, I mean, the whole day, what this means is you're teaching your kids the word of God. When they wake up in the morning, you teach them. And this underscores the importance of daily devotions. Did you know back in that day that they would only go through the scripture in the house of God on the Sabbath in the synagogue? The other six days wasn't the church's responsibility. It was the parents. And then once every seven years, there was what was called the year of release. At the end of the year of release, they would read the whole scripture through. And so you read some every seventh day, actually the first day of the week in that era, you would read and that would be the Sabbath. And um, in our era, it's the first day of the week, I should say. And then once every seven years, they would read it all the way through. And one sitting, but you know where it had to be taught every single day? The home, the home, the house, and all during the day. The point is, is that much, much more time was devoted to teaching the word of God at home than it was at church. Here's why that matters. Because there are 168 hours in the week, and I've taught you this so much. I've mentioned this so often. And you know how much time we'll spend in church? Hour and a half. And the sermon will be 35 to 40 minutes at the outside. You know what that means? That means out of 168 hours, 167 hours and 20 minutes. They're not hearing the word of God because 45 minutes of that will be worship. But guess what happens? The other 166 and a half hours, which would then subtract the worship and the word time. The other 166 and one half hours in the week. You know what's going to happen? They're going to be on their TVs. They're going to be on the internet. They're going to be looking at Facebook, TikTok. They're going to be listening to culture, their friends, Disney, product advertisements, Hollywood, entertainers, sports, the government, and in schools. It is virtually impossible in one 
35-minute sermon once a week to undo all that programming that was put in the other 166 and a half hours that week. But there are still folks that think, man, if the youth pastor would preach, you know, on this, if, if he would talk about this, if, if pastor would just preach more often and we try our best to preach all of the things that you as parents need to be able to teach your kids. But at the end of the day, parents, we need to be your partners in the spiritual education of your children and not the only ones that are trying to educate them. Amen. Let us help you. That's what we're here for. From the beginning, it was the home. And God used Jonadab to prove to Jeremiah that it works. Number two, remove the wrong influences from your child's life. If there's a social media app that you have concerns about, delete it. Monitor how much time your child spends on their smartphones. Boy, it's getting quiet in here now. Bad friends, hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more, no more. Amen. I don't mean that unkindly. That child needs salvation too. But if they're the wrong influence on your child, get them through the difficult days of their life. And when they really know God, then they can become evangelists. Amen. TV programs that promote the wrong values. Man, did you know I used to have a coonskin hat? My favorite program was Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. Anybody old enough to remember those days? But yeah, man, I couldn't wait till Sunday evening. I had a coonskin hat with a tail on it and the whole thing. Now, what happened to Disney? Amen. You say, well, I don't think I ought to be that controlling. Well, let me ask you this. Would you control your child if it went to run out in front of a car? Or how about this? I have a friend whose brother used to have a pet rattlesnake. I'm not making this up. And no, it was not defamed. And he would let it slither through his house. Would you do that? Anybody here? I'm not talking about in a glass cage with a shotgun across your lap while you're, no, I'm talking about it would slither all over the house. You never knew where it was. I bet he didn't have a problem with very many neighbors coming by to see him. Amen. And he would lie on his sofa and he would watch TV with it sitting on his chest. Not me. Would you do that? That's what you're doing if you don't monitor what the influences that are coming into your child's life. You're exposing them to danger. Amen. Number three, take church home with you. Make Christ the center of your home. 
Doing church is not what you do when you're here alone. Amen. Parents worry that if they insist their kids go to church, the kids will resent it. Well, I won't ask you, do you force them to go to school Monday? Do they resent it? Do they go anyway? Do they go to college? Amen. Things that are good, we as parents need to make certain those things don't leave our children's lives. We need to explain the value of them. And think about it. They raised Samuel in the house of God. Didn't hurt him. Amen. Number four, pray for your children before you send them out the door each day and I'm done. Pray for them. If they grab their books and say, see you, mom, dad, I'm going to catch the bus. Say, hold, hold, hold on just a minute. I got to pray for you. And then you pray over them and you rebuke spirits like Tracy talked about a while ago. You cover your children with love. Amen. And number five, then as your child walks out the door, speak blessing over them. Jesus gathered the children up and blessed them. Bless them. Bless them. That's what we need to be doing to our kids is blessing them. And as parents, I know that's hard because sometimes what you want to do instead of blessing them is... You're my kid? Was there an invasion of the body snatchers last night? You just know they're aliens. Amen. They're not. They're your children. They go through rough things. And you have to speak blessing over them. And tell them as they walk out the door, today your mind's going to be sharp and alert. And you're going to love God. And you're going to walk with the favor of God upon your life. And angels are going to surround you and no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. Every enemy that comes and tries to attack you, it's going to turn into a blessing instead because you're a child of God and I'm raising you with a destiny. Stand with me, please. And I want our counselors, prayer counselors, to please come forward. Amen. I feel the Lord here. Let somebody take a praise break right now. Would you do that? Amen. I will announce also that at the end of January, there's going to be a three-week class beginning on Monday night, the last Monday night in January. And they will continue. Men and women's classes are on Monday night. They will teach in the men and women's classes from these subjects how to be able to raise godly children. How to raise lambs in a culture of wolves. Will every head bowed right now, please? I want to see the hands of those. And parents, if you haven't registered, it won't do you any good to get out there too early because we just have a couple of minutes of the service left and and they're going to wait just a moment on us there to help you register so we can finish up in here first. While every head is bowed, could I see the hands of those in this building who need God in their life? Would you raise your hand? 
hands. God bless you. Keep raising them all over the building. Lord, have mercy. Keep raising them. So many hands. So many hands. Now, every head bowed one more time. How many of you feel like you need some help with your family? You're facing some things because I want to pray for you. Come on, raise them. Those hands high. Don't be afraid. Need some help. I need some help. I've got, I've got a teenage daughter, teenage son, having some problems in my marriage right now. Whatever the case may be. I want to first pray for those who need Christ. Father, I pray for those that raised their hands a moment ago that need you. I also pray for all of those at home that are watching this message and have listened to me talk about these truths this morning. I'm asking you to please, Lord, hear the cry of our hearts that we recognize we need you. We need you. We need a Savior. And I pray on behalf of those who haven't given their hearts to you yet, come into their hearts, save them. They're praying with me right now. Write their names in the book of life. Forgive them of their sins. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. God, I'm asking you today to let faith erupt in their hearts to know that you love them, that Christ died on the cross for them, but that the grave could not contain and keep you back. And you rose victorious so they could be saved. And we claim that salvation right now in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with me, we welcome you into the kingdom of God as you take your first steps. Let's have a party for a moment as we welcome them. Come on, somebody. Give God a shout of praise and let's welcome every one of these who prayed that prayer. Amen. This is what I'm going to do. I feel some real pain in this building. I feel some real pain. I feel that there are people here who need answers, want answers. If you need help in your family, would you come pray with me right now? Come. I want to I pray for you. I want to pray for you. God will help you. God will help you. Lots of folk coming behind you, so if you could just move as close to the front as you can. I want all of you to look at me right now, okay? I want to tell you something. It's not too late yet. Somebody shout amen. I want somebody to say it. It's not too late. Come on, it's not too late 
yet. There's nothing impossible with God. Nothing. I've got a feeling somebody's going to have a breakthrough in their family this week. God's going to hear somebody's cry. Amen. Could I just ask you to do this? How many parents and grandparents in this building today will raise a hand, don't raise it yet, and make a commitment, I will do the best I can to teach godly values every day for the rest of my life. Would you do that? Amen. God will honor that. That's where it starts. But it's not too late yet. It's not too late. Some of you may have gotten saved late. Some of you may not have known the importance of teaching in the home. There's so many different things that could have gone wrong. Some of you may have been through the trauma of the breakup of a marriage and blended families are so challenging anyway. But I know this, God loves you. God cares for you. God is on your side. Tracy sang it. God is for you. He is for you. He is for you to a thousand generations. God is for you. Don't give up hope. Don't let go. Don't stop believing. Don't stop praying. I feel God moving in this house right now. God will do miracles in your life and in your family. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Let's pray. Father, I pray for every precious individual that is here right now. I pray for every family. I pray for every family that is going through a struggle. I pray for every child that these families represent. I pray for every marriage represented in this altar. And God, in your goodness, would you hear our prayer this morning? And I want you to turn some things around. I want you to some break, I want you to break some attitudes. God, I want you to make hearts fresh and clean again and, and restore love and let there be forgiveness and and Lord, let there be joy in the home and let Christ-centeredness return to families where it's been missing. And God, I pray against the forces of the enemy that seek to destroy. Whatever those forces may be, no spirit will be successful. No strategy the enemy devises will succeed. That's what you said. The weapon will be formed, but it won't be successful. And Lord, right now, I'm praying that angels will be dispatched from this house today to accompany these families home to help them in their assignments. And we commit to put you first. We commit to teach your principles to the children, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren that you have placed in our care. And we know that you're hearing us.